The reading for this evening is Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. It can be found on page 978 in the Church Bibles. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Through hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this, people's hearts had become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. You have that in front of you. It's on page 978-979. I wonder how you feel when you find yourself doing something and you rather wonder if it's a complete waste of time. Uh, There was an elderly lady who I knew who had a wonderful, colorful description of describing something as a waste of time. She'd say, it was like giving a donkey strawberries. A complete waste of time. And that was one of the issues that Jesus was addressing with this parable. It was an unexpressed thought, question, in the disciples' mind, and it arose because things were getting difficult. The synagogues were becoming less welcoming to them. The religious leaders were becoming more hostile to Jesus. And that's probably, verse 1, why he is outside teaching by the lake. 
And he's teaching in a new way by telling parables, parables of the kingdom. These are short graphic stories related to daily life, almost like riddles. They have a meaning which is not immediately obvious. They were spoken, not written, of course, and so they had to make an immediate impact and needed to be memorable. But they hid a truth from those who couldn't be bothered to think them through or those who wouldn't listen. But they also revealed profound truth for the spiritual seeker. And this is the first in a series of parables of the kingdom that we're looking at over the coming weeks. And this one describes the effect, as the others do, of God's rule in people's lives. This one, the parable of the spur, also answers the disciples' unspoken question. Is it a waste of time to follow Jesus and to pass on his message, the good news of the gospel? And here's my first point. Proclaiming the gospel is never a waste of time. Proclaiming the gospel is never a waste of time. And Jesus starts where his listeners are, and he speaks not, in fact, to a sower, as our Bible says, but the sower, indicating that there was probably an actual sower near where they were. Look at him, he's saying, broadcasting the seed. Now, that's an interesting word, to broadcast. It's an agricultural term. We say it, use it in uh, television and uh, radio, the broadcasters. But what you're doing is scattering the message. Here is the the sower, broadcasting the seed, scattering it by hand in a wide arc as he throws it, says Jesus. And sometimes, of course, the wind would catch the seed and it would land in very different soils. And Jesus then goes on to describe the four very different soils and their effect on the seed. There's the hard soil, stamped down by feet, walking on a footpath between the fields. And the seed simply sits on the surface with no chance of germinating. It's completely vulnerable to the birds. And then the stony ground probably describes the actual ground they're sitting on, a thin skin of earth on top of an underlying shelf of limestone rock. So the seed would initially germinate as the ground would warm up very quickly because it had no depth. But the roots couldn't go deep so the plant eventually would starve and die. The thorny ground looks like a good place at first. Perhaps the soil had been turned over. Those of us who are gardeners, knowing the lazy way to garden is not to weed the soil, you just turn it over. The trouble is that the weeds are still there, the roots are still there, and uh, they come up even more strongly. So the good seed and the dormant seed uh, grow together and the weeds choke the plants. They're stronger. And then, of course, verse 8, there's the good soil, deep, clean, soft, and fertile. It grows healthily and produces a wonderful crop. And just in case we're carried away with thinking, ah, what a lovely story, verse 9 says, wake up. He who has ears, let him hear. This is not just a lovely story. It has been told because it has a profound message for you and me in London, in St. Michael's Chester Square, in the 21st century. And the message is that the response to the gospel depends on the heart of the hearer. 
It's the listener's attitude which is revealed by their response to the gospel. Some people have completely closed minds. They are unteachable. They know it all. I can't tell you how many conversations Trisha and I have had with people. They discover you're a vicar and they know it. Do not bother to speak. Actually, you won't get a word in edgeways because they know it. And even worse, some refuse to listen because God's word challenges the way they live. I was preaching here a series on 1 Thessalonians 4, and the passage came to, it is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. So I had to speak about it. It was in the text. It was part of the series. I hadn't chosen it. There it was. And a member of the congregation came up and spoke to me very angrily. He felt that I had picked him out, interestingly, but I hadn't. It was just in the series, and it was a message he didn't want to hear. And, of course, Satan will seize that moment. We're told he snatches the seed away, any opportunity that there is to respond to the gospel. He didn't want to hear what God was saying. Uh, The second seed, verses 20 and 21, uh, it explains it's really those who do shallow thinking. They haven't really used their minds. They're attracted at first. Perhaps there's a special moment, a lovely service. The music is terrific. It's always terrific, of course, our worship leaders. But, you know, it's one of those services, and it's great. But they've never used their minds to think through what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is that Jesus makes demands on us. It is not cost-free to be a disciple of Jesus. And he, he doesn't, he, there isn't small print to this. It's all in black, big letters. It's the cross. If the founder of our faith went to the cross, do you think it's going to be Royals, Royces and Strawberries all the way? There's a, a cost in becoming a disciple of Jesus, and it's getting bigger. Increasingly, it's the scorn and derision that we meet if we dare admit that we have a Christian faith, if we actually say, I go to church on Sunday. In America, it's okay. The culture is just about okay. Because, of course, you go to church rather like the country club to make your networks and that sort of thing. I'm being a bit naughty there. It's an element of that. But here, you must be feeble-minded. And so... When trouble comes, and if the costs are not considered, the hearer gives up. And then there's the hearer who leads such a busy life that the really important things, like the gospel itself, are simply crowded out by competing demands. And what a powerful duo these demands are. Look at verse 22. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Here we are living in one of the wealthiest parts of London. And what is the particular God? What is the message that the world pushes? The world pushes this message. It's a false gospel. If you are wealthy, you will be happy and content. It's guaranteed. And it's a lie. I can tell you it's a lie. 
I've seen it's a lie. There is no one more wealthy than people living in Chester Square, practically. And then verse 23, the fruitful listener really hears the word and understands it. He uses it, he thinks carefully. He realizes the implications of the gospel for his life, the cost. He accepts it. He lives it out in a daily walk with Jesus. And of course, the spiritual fruit. And it's attractive. The work of the Holy Spirit, what is the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness, did I say? Wow, who doesn't feel attracted by that? Well, I imagine the effect of the parable on the disciples uh, was, what's going on here? Well, we know that because they asked Jesus for the meaning. They had become discouraged by the criticism, uh, by the religious authorities. They didn't like it. Yes, they had the crowds, but there was something going on. Uh, Jesus' message had not been met by universal acclaim. And the parable faces the facts. Three out of four listeners, in one way or another, will not listen and not produce any lasting spiritual fruit. Three out of four. Now that is enough to make you feel like Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. But this is where we become Tigger, one out of four do respond. And here's the even better news. They produce fruit that is absolutely amazing. It's lasting. Sixty-fold, thirty-fold, and more. So the picture is not gloomy, is it? It's far from gloomy. Yes, there are people who turn their backs on Jesus. It's tragic. That's where they are. That tells you what their, the state of their heart is. Uh, in spiritual doctor terms, they will, might be, have a heart attack. If you think that money is all that there is, one day you'll wake up and discover you may have all the money in the world, but you don't have relationships, you don't have a family. It's not all that there is. And the fact is that no farmer expects every seed to be productive. That doesn't stop him sowing. He doesn't say, oh dear, you know, some of this is not going to have any effect, so I'll stop, I'll stop doing it. And of course he has no idea which of the seed will be productive. So he scatters them all, and he has to wait. There are no quick results. So, for example, I know a number of you teach in children's church, and it's challenging and it's tiring. And every Sunday morning you say to yourself, why on earth did I say I'd do this? But you are sowing seeds that may produce real fruit. Some you may even see now. Never dismiss the faith of a little child. You may be the vital link in a chain that God uses and so we tell the children God's good news. I came to faith through a sermon in a school chapel, living with a Christian family, preparing for university mission, the testimony of a new Christian, and a book by John Stott, all taking place over a number of years, each a link in the chain. 
Now, Scripture often repeats a lesson to emphasize if it's really important, and sometimes that's done from a slightly different perspective. Here in this parable, it's done from the perspective of the Old Testament and the prophet Isaiah. Here's my second point. Spiritual teachers in the past experienced the same mixed response. Spiritual teachers in the past experienced exactly the same mixed response. Now, when you read verses 13 to 17, if you were to have a superficial reading, you could begin to think, come to the wrong conclusion, that Jesus spoke in parables in order that people would not understand spiritual truth. So they would be prevented from turning to God in repentance and experiencing God's forgiveness and healing. Isn't that an interesting word, verse 17? Because, of course, if we know we're forgiven and we're reconciled to Almighty God, then in a real sense we are whole people. And this quotation from Isaiah 6 in verses 14 and 15 seems to underline that interpretation, that God is intending to make sure people don't understand the message. And as if the nation's complete failure to understand God's purposes and mission was a result of God's deliberate action to blind eyes, deafen ears, and harden hearts. Now, just a moment's reflection would lead anyone to conclude that that cannot be the case. God has always wanted his people to relate to him, always wanted people to communicate with him. So why is Isaiah inserted in this odd way in the middle of a story? It interrupts it. And incidentally, it is a reminder that if we don't grapple with the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, we will miss out on the deep lessons of faith that are in Scripture from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. We need a multidimensional perspective if we are to appreciate the true greatness of God. Isaiah is quoted because he also was bewildered by the fact that even though he had spoken God's, God, his God-given message absolutely clearly, even though it included solemn warnings, the listeners still didn't understand it or wouldn't understand it or wouldn't act upon it. And surely we know something of that shared experience ourselves during events week. We've spoken perhaps directly and straightforwardly to a friend, the basic ABC of the gospel. Admit your need, believe in Jesus, and come to him. We may even remember the verse or two. Very straightforward. And they look at you, even if they've got an Oxbridge degree, completely blankly. They don't get it. So you speak louder. You see, surely Matthew's included Isaiah's testimony to make exactly the same point that spiritual deafness and blindness has always been humanity's condition from the very beginning. It is nothing new. It's always been a minority that have responded to Jesus. Yes, three out of four don't, that's the majority, but one out of four do. So we shouldn't be surprised that one way or another, for various reasons, the majority don't respond because they've got a heart problem. And the key point for us is this. Never 
Never give up passing on sharing God's good news about Jesus. Never allow yourself to become so disappointed at people's response rate that we quietly stop sharing. Because some are waiting for someone to explain it to them, as I was. Could I find a Christian to explain me what the Christian faith was? And so if we haven't realized that the response rate is as it is, then we will draw the wrong conclusion when we invite people to the guest events or the Alpha course, and yet again they decline. We might be tempted to think to ourselves, I'm no good at this, I'd better stop doing it. Or, even worse, we live in the 21st century, perhaps the message doesn't relate to the 21st century anymore. Isn't Satan brilliant? No, we've got to keep going, because you don't know who will respond. That's the point about scattering the seed. You can't know inside people's hearts. And it's often someone that you thought was unlikely to respond. Soon after I became a committed Christian, I got onto a train to go to my very first Christian house party. Imagine how I felt. And I met a school friend who said to me, Good heavens, Charles, what are you doing here? I was not a likely person to become a Christian in his eyes. And yet, by the mercy of God, I did. I was. You see, the varied responses are not due to the message or even necessarily the messenger, though no doubt we could all improve. The fault lies in the hearers. So we mustn't focus just on the three out of four who fail to respond but not focus on the one in four who gloriously do, verse 23, just revel in it, produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Isn't that thrilling? I wonder if we're tempted to give up. Is it because we've forgotten the huge privilege we enjoy of knowing, verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And here's my third point. What are we doing to ensure we are healthy listeners? What are we doing to ensure we're healthy listeners? Back to verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I always smile at that because we've all got ears. And then I think of my dad. My dad had a defense mechanism. He didn't listen. He didn't want to listen. If you don't want to listen, even though you've got ears, you're not listening. Um, I remember in the other church, I don't know if this should be recorded, um, he was, uh, the choir used to come out, they were robed, they'd sit in the front, and I noticed an elder man sitting there like this as I preached, like this. So I said, went up to him and had a little chat. I said, oh, about the sermons. He said, well, he said, I haven't listened to a sermon for 30 years. It is funny, but it isn't. So, in verse 9, the first listeners of the parable are being told, in 21st century speak, listen up, pay attention. This is important. This is not a pretty story about agriculture and growing seeds, how to do it well. 
we are in a hugely privileged position if we are committed disciples of Jesus. If we'd call ourselves a Christian, we will have needed to have understood the implications of being a disciple. We need to have understood God's sovereign power and authority to forgive sins. We need to have understood the meaning of the cross, what happened to Jesus, the resurrection, and the wonderful gift of freedom that Jesus offers us. We are those to whom these secrets have been revealed. It has been given to us. It's a gift. You cannot understand them by brilliance of mind or academic study, for Christianity is a revealed faith. And in case we are in danger of treating this privilege lightly, have a look at verse 17, which should humble us. Many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Outsiders can't understand these mysteries. They can, you can only understand these secrets if we know Jesus personally for ourselves. The Christian faith can only be understood in its transforming sense, rather than just its cultural or historic sense, after a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. A long-standing friend uh, who became a Christian described how after he was converted, he was listening to a sermon, and he said to me, Charles, I understood the sermon for the first time because I knew the person that they were talking about. And there's another principle at work which at first seems unfair. Verse 12 Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, how fair is that? But just think about it for a moment. If you're a lazy language student, you will forget even the little knowledge that you had, whereas if you work constantly at it regularly, you will build on what you know, and you will know more. Isn't that right? So if you don't bother to learn your tests and things, you, it just slips away. I think that happens with music. If you do not practice, we get to know it. It becomes evident. You know, Tom and the musicians, this is one of the things, what you see on a Sunday is only a tiny fraction. Tom and the musicians practice. Whereas if we don't practice, it, it slips away. You have even less than you thought. The daily disciplined walk with Jesus will produce a deepened relationship and a transformed life. The more irregular we are, the more distant we become, the less likely our life will reflect Jesus. It's a principle. It's a life principle. So we too are called tonight to examine ourselves in the light of the different responses in this parable. What is the state of your heart tonight? Because it makes a real difference. Our listening, our responding to God's gospel, to his messenger, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we unreceptive? We've heard it all before. So we become gradually more deaf to God. We don't read the Bible. We're not regular worshippers. We've allowed our relationship to become strained, even distant. We may recognize this danger, and then we start blaming God. Well, it's God's fault. He's never there when I want him. 
And that reveals something about our attitude, doesn't it? And I always say to people when they say, you know, God is distant, I say, well, who moved? Is our faith, frankly, shallow? We've never really applied our minds to our Christian faith. Many of you are graduates, but you've never grasped a commentary and looked at a book seriously. You've never taken a difficult book, which tells us about God. So maybe I challenge you over this summer. There is time over the summer. I read three or four books when I went on retreat for two days. Yes, I know, I read fast. Uh, we will recommend all sorts of books. Read a gospel, read Paul's letters, read an Old Testament book. Read Amy or Ewing on apologetics or the authority of the Bible. The big issue in the Church of England is the authority of the Bible. We're about to hit very rough waters because people don't like what the Bible teaches. We are countercultural. Um, how will we respond to the trouble or the persecution? Are we, frankly, let's admit it, more preoccupied with the world's priorities and values, the world that lives without reference to God? It has very different priorities. If we don't set ours, the world will set its priorities for us. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? What restaurant are you going to? You know, what's your label that you wear? You know, where's the... Terribly important. So easy to forget that what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And we've allowed, again, that haunting phrase, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth to choke the power of God's word in our lives. So we need to refocus. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Are we those who hear the word and understand it? Open ourselves to it regularly so that we produce fruit, the sort of fruit that means you continue to share the news of God's love no matter what people's response is. You don't give up because there are results. How do you think I've done this for 40 years if I haven't seen results? Some of you are sitting here. Alex uh, Campbell, very sweetly this morning, I said, what, what has it meant to you to be a member of St. Michael's? And he said, well, I met my wife here. I came to faith here. I was baptized here. And people said, oh, St. Michael's, I said, it's God. Can't be bad when the church warden speaks of his faith, can it? Of what God has done. And as we continue to share... Yes, some will, some will be disappointing. Some of your dearest friends will just have a heart problem and you see it. But you never give up. For not only will others' lives be changed, but yours will be too. A changed life, touching other lives, making an impact for Jesus. There it is, every week on the top of the bulletin. That's who we are. That's what we pray for. That's what we seek. That's our priority. Because it means then that we are the seed planted in good soil and producing fruit for Jesus. And that must be our priority. Isn't it? Let's pray.
a moment of quiet to ask yourself, what is it that God wants me to hear? Maybe just one thing to take away. And then ask, what does he want me to do about it? Loving Lord, we just know how the disciples must have felt. We've all had those disappointing moments, those disappointing responses. We've heard the little voice telling us, just give up. Stop passing on the good news of Jesus. But the word tells us that there will be responses And when there are those responses, there's wonderful fruit. Change lives, touching other lives, making an impact for Jesus. May we be part of that, we pray in your name. Amen.